0: So, I guess the big story uh, tonight is certainly that of PIC, and I'm joined uh, on the line by market analyst Bandila Matandela to take a look at some of these big stories. Mdaga Matandela, Masquam Gelabak Metro FM Talk. Gya pilega,
1: puti, Gapilega,
0: go. Ay, ay, ay. Gabendia Togaman, Sambanazo. PIC.
1: Ay, 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 ay,
0: ay. You know, one of the things I must say are, are so remarkable about the PIC. Maybe remarkable is not the English, but zalfmanika. Yeah. PIC, if bro? Even if Mm. you want to speak to them, like on radio. And I'm going to say this, right? So that maybe they they can come back and then say, yeah, we are available. But yo, Uh, just to get them to talk. And they're the biggest investor. I mean, there's so many things that are material on the go in the market Mm. at the moment. Mm. Where we would benefit from just the performance. You know? But yeah, I guess when they do communicate, it's always... Uh, to uh, maybe paint some ominous signs of what's happening inside. And uh, this time around, the suspension of COO, uh, the Chief Operating Officer at the PIC, and uh, that is Mdaga Ako, Vyani who has been placed on a precautionary suspension. What's happening here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think EPIC, e- as you rightfully say, um, I, uh, you know, have uh, sort of been embroiled in this, Controversy, if I can call it that, for, 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 for a while, right, mm-hmm. emanating from one that commission we had, um, you know, there was just significant issues around governance. We saw changes uh, from a leadership perspective with their former CEO also. But, yeah, coming out today, um, the COO, uh, Mr. Bianiako, has been placed on precautionary suspension. He has also confirmed that he is indeed on suspension, but would not um, uh, just uh, give any information with regards to what the allegations are. The PIC also are not um you know divulging any information regarding to, to, to that. And I mean I think also what's uh probably catching a lot of eyes and a lot of attention is the fact that the timing of also the other resignations that happened today uh today following the suspension, you know, um uh, with two senior officials also, um, the, the, the head of developmental investments as well as private equity with also their head of research and, and projects also resigning today. You know, So the timing of it just uh, sort of uh, raises a bit of eyebrows to say what really is happening. Of course, they came out to, 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 to say that, no, these changes are not going to affect their operations and their ability to, to, you know, to, to, to make sure that they deliver the investment mandate. But nonetheless, significant changes significant news happening there and, um, you know, everyone is just watching this to see, you know, what do these allegations, um, what, what are they about, what is this concerning especially following, you know, this past two years where we've seen a lot of changes there, a lot of issues coming out, and, you know, and, and as you say you know, perhaps they've never been a very vocal um, organization in the media space, and maybe this is an opportune time for them to actually express themselves, especially considering that a significant portion of the funds that they actually hold relates to, you know, government pensions. And perhaps Mm. people, they owe people that much to actually come out and and to an extent give us an indication of what's going on. But yeah, significant news, you know, the chief operating officer is indeed suspended with two senior officials also resigning today.
0: I mean, yeah, look, uh, and I guess, as I said, I mean, this is probably the one investor in the South African economy who's thoughts on a lot of things um, and uh. in the continental economy that uh, many of us would have an interest in and it's a real pity uh, that that has happened. But I guess the implication also of, of this much turnover, I mean, in unrelated events, as you said, I mean, uh, a few other senior executives have also left uh, or resigned from the PIC. Um, and if we track back to the party Commission, some of the issues that were found there which led to the exit of the then CEO, Dr. Dan Machila, um, really, I guess. I mean, that isn't too long ago, if one considers, I guess, how much time people normally spend in these roles, and to yeah. to to have this much turnover of as senior uh, personnel as uh, we have here, um, must signal that there is something something funky inside the PIC.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's that typical cliche, right, or that typical saying that says where the smoke. There's definitely fire, you know. But I think, you know, with yeah, with so many changes, you know, and then I think beyond just you know something dodgy or something, you know, happening within there, it's just now the question around with so many changes, how does this impact, you know, the ability of the PIAC to be able to continue the investment mandate, you know, uh, you know. How, What's the plan from a business continuity side? You know, um, you know, do they have people that are going to be able to fill these roles immediately and be able to, you know, to to carry on as required and deliver on that mandate? But it's definitely a a a, a concerning, um, you know, moment within the PIC. And hopefully, you know, they they're going to be able to provide. That is, of course, the CEO is still in suspension. We're not saying that it's left the organisation. Depending on what exactly it is. And what it relates to, you know, at this moment, we don't really have the news, but it is really concerning. It is one that is catching a lot of attention within the market and considering just the role of the PIC and, you know, how significant the PIC is within that investment space, it is something that really is a cause for concern. Mm.
0: Now, now, yeah, I mean, I I guess there's, there's that issue. But then from a broader governance perspective, I mean, one... Doesn't get a sense that we still shine as much of a spotlight on some of the governance issues and um, allegations of political interference Mm. in in the PIC as one might have seen in an earlier period. Um, And maybe I guess that's what that's what the silence might account for. That you know, if you don't say anything, then maybe you know people aren't going to follow up or or shine any spotlight on what it is that you do.
1: Yeah, and maybe I mean maybe it's an approach they've taken. I mean I think you're correct. I uh, you know. Uh, from that commission we we a lot of issues that came out was just around you know the governance um you know and the issues around governance, which for a fund that size you know governance becomes an extremely important thing, particularly also considering that this is government um pensions and you know and and and, and it, it is people protecting the interest and potentially uh, investments of many um you know government workers so You know, I think also the the issues around political intervention, of course, being an SOE, you know, we we, we see that a lot with these SOEs, but considering the role, you know, and the significance of the PIC, it has really been something that has... Alert um, to cause of concern, but you, but you know, and 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 now with the exit, you know, and, and the new significant changes, you know, it, you know, One can only sit and wonder, you know, what's exactly happening inside there now. What's the plan from a continuity perspective? What's the plan from you know, uh, uh, making sure that going forward, you know, we 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 don't have these uh, government issues, we don't have this political intervention. We, I suppose you know, to an extent, because of the size of the funds that are sitting there, you know, there always been interest from various parties. But yeah, I mean I think the PIC definitely is one that, you know, needs 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 to be closely looked at. And hopefully, you know, that uh, that veil of silence is something that's going to be lifted and just, you know, bring 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 the public into your confidence. To say that you know we you know to just release a statement saying that you know we we are sure stakeholders that this is not going to impact our investment mandate, perhaps is not enough, especially in the back and the context of everything that has happened uh, over the last couple of years, you know, and hopefully you know we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see something come up again, you know we're still not very really sure what exactly these allegations relating to the c o o are You know, and hopefully, and maybe you know, as time goes, we'll begin to learn more um, Mm. about this and begin to understand a bit better what exactly is happening inside the PIC.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's shift from the PIC, I guess, to another large lender on our continent. And uh, I understand South African sovereign is also one of the investors here, alongside many other sovereign wealth funds and uh, and the like. And that's the African Development Bank, the AfDB. Mm. Now the AfDB is saying Madupi is not going to make any money. Well, maybe not. That might not be a correct assessment, but will not make returns that are much higher than the weighted average cost of the capital they've acquired. So effectively, you know, it won't be worth the while of the likes of the AFDB, which gave them a facility, uh, a 16.6 billion Rand loan out in 2009.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, these things are always subjective as well, and it always depends on how you're actually viewing it. But I think a significant statement as well made by FDP there, and I mean, I've attributed this to a number of factors. You know, one, the extensive delays that we've seen at NetWP with them, you know, I think that they've actually gone over. Um, what the the, the, the the construction period that they actually stipulated, and I mean, uh, when you look at the ESCOM debt, a, a significant part of it is actually attributed to you know both Medupe and Kusile, mm. but um, you know AFDB coming out saying that they will never actually see the returns as. Was originally intended, you know, and I imagine because of the delays, you know, something that would be there. I mean, I think also coming into the field now is this issue around clean energy with them saying that with the narrative and sort of the sentiment around coal generated power stations and that people and the country starting to move away from that, we will not see the original 50 years uh, lifespan that was um, intended for. For 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 I mean, of course, you know, you can you can't really predict these things to that extent. But I suppose on their side, they're expressing their views, especially considering that they had made a significant investment uh, investment into. ESCOM and they were one of the key funders, so an interesting one coming out. It would be interesting to hear the views of ESCOM right now, uh, you know, on, on on this particular, and also the Department of Public Entities to say, you know, what exactly would be the plan on 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 on, on, on the DUPI and whether or not uh, this this return will be realised. I mean, I suppose in such. Um, with, uh, investment of this magnitude, you know, you, you're bound to, to, to have delays, but maybe not to this extent, but also from returns, you know, you might not always get the return that you you you, you 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 were looking at. But, you know, I mean, they said it will be below um, the weighted average cost of capital of ESCOM. So on their side, they probably just, you know, re- 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 looking at the investment and actually assessing was it worth it, are we going to be able to get the return. But significant nonetheless, right, um, especially considering that, you know, ESCOM has has, you know, continuously received you know significant bailouts from the state, and to an extent you might say that the state also has a significant investment, and if it never realizes return, would that then translate to that the taxpayer's money yeah. um, has been, you know, has not been able to yield the, the necessary results of the returns that are required. But yeah, significant nonetheless. Um, but again, these things are always very subjective depending on who's looking at them right. and uh, exactly what perspective you're looking at it from.
0: Yeah, but also, man, AFDB might clean. AFDB must understand. I mean, Banins, you know, they're not the only <laughs> one. Uh, no, I mean, I'm I'm being for real. I mean, a big yeah, part of the yeah. bailouts that have, you know, been issued over the last while have largely been to service or to keep up with debt service costs to lenders like the AFDB, Noel mm. Bank, and many others. Mm. So so if they feel now that, AI hey, at the tail end of this thing, not, this thing's not going to be worth a while. Uh, by go on, Denny and because 2008, 2009 was a long time ago. Yeah,
1: it's a long time ago. Um,
0: and, and I think the reality of the issue is that certainly since around 2014, 2013 or so, many South African taxpayers have also uh, been shouldering some of those risks uh, with their tax rands that could have been put uh, maybe to much better use.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think, again, you know, I, when you make this type of investments, particularly this size, you know, there's a risk element, of course. You know, there's not a guarantee um, from a return perspective. And I think on their side, maybe they're just expressing to say that, you know, they've made a significant investment, 16.6 billion rand, and they don't think that they're going to realize the returns that they thought. But as you say, you know, um, a significant portion of that debt, that we see at Eskom has been to service, you know, that that, that, that those those um, borrowing costs and that debt, and this also relates to them as well. So. <laughs> I mean, as you say, you know, Carlos and you know, uh, we've also from a taxpayer perspective felt mm. the pinch of this. So it's just a matter of, you know, especially if they're not saying that there's going to be a complete loss and they're just saying that it's a matter of it won't realise the returns that it was originally realized. Mm. You know, it's just mm. one of those things, you know, you, 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 you take it as it comes and it's just part of those things, it's part of the investment wealth.
0: Yeah, look, I mean I think even that that assessment, right? Because there's often this sense that, yeah, well, you know, we we've made no money, and a lot of the headlines talk about that. But actually, what is happening here is that they feel, and this is even them throwing the bones on this one. They feel that they are not going to meet that rate of the cost at which they borrowed in order to borrow to Escom. That's all it is.
1: Yeah. You know? So, so yeah, Daniela had a rate to say. That they won't get any returns.
0: No, 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 no. I mean, look, as as long as. Uh, many of the units that were funded certainly in, in recent memory maybe from the late 80s right up to now are still going to be very much part of our energy mix and so in a sense nobody can really say bye you know we've got nothing from this thing there's no money that we've received from it that being said four-day work week um i love this idea um, and yeah, uh, definitely man I, I think you know over centuries a big part of Uh, You know, the struggle between the bosses and the workers has been about, you know, shortening of the work day and the intensity of the work week. Uh, We're still there in South Africa. I mean, it's only fairly recently where even a 40 to 45 hour work week was put into the law. Um, But that being said, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't mind a, what is it, 32 hour week?
1: 32 hour week, yeah. Yeah, so it's a very interesting story, right? And 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 this conversation has been happening for a while, um, you know, in different parts of the world. You know, this whole concept around the four-day work week, um, and then there's a couple of things that have been raised. You know, this issue of burnout, the issue of you know it will make people a bit more happier. It will give, you know, it also provides for a, a better work-life balance. You know, there's issues around mental health. You know, there's a lot of issues that um, have been raised about this. But yeah, we do know now that uh, the UK takes. A stage with about 70 companies, 3,500 employees, um, that are going to be undertaking this experiment of a four-day week-week. And the idea here, yeah, I think there's a couple of people that are involved, organizations that are involved. Oxford is involved. Um, uh, Cambridge is involved. Boston College is involved. They'll be sort of doing this research to see, you know, does it actually affect what impact does it have on productivity? And I think the model they're using is an 80 uh, 100 basically 80% um, Sort of in terms of work that is being in time that is being put in, yet you're expecting hundred percent productivity and hundred percent pay and I think for me in the context of South Africa that's where you know the difficulty might be you know i, I if you consider that there's certain industries that still employ uh, you know that, that no work no pay you know people particularly the the, the, the low income industries you know how that would be uh, affected in this particular instance you know because if you work for four days and you're getting paid for four days Maybe it might be an easier thing to implement in a more professional setting, in the professional services where, you know, you've got a permanent role, you've got a fixed rate of amount. But in people that get paid as per, you know, the day they work, it might have a certain level of complication. And, I mean, I think we would need to then need to think around that from a South African context and what it would actually mean. Would it mean that, you know, people are still paid for a 40-day week even though they're working on the 32-day week? What implications Mm. would that have? On productivity, what implications will that have on the bottom line? You know, so I think there's, there's a wider conversation that will still need to be heard. But nonetheless, you know, for me, and the Aya, you know, yeah, it starts yeah. off with an experiment, and what we're basically seeing is that the world is warming up to this. And we're starting to see um you know and it will be interesting to see what the results of that research are mm. you know are people going to so uh you know be as productive and issue up at the same level of productivity and I suppose the 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 pandemic and the whole working from home has been a significant catalyst uh in terms of this you know where we' you know historically had people sitting in the office from eight. Um, in the morning until four or five mm. pm every day, but now people are working from home mm. and they realize that they are achieving the same results. Exactly. Yet they might not be sitting in front of the laptop the entire day. It gives them an opportunity mm. to do other things, and so maybe there is a case to be made. And I think for me, I'll be keeping a close eye yeah. on the actual results of this particular study and to see what the academics also say. Mm. You know, um, but I think uh, the, the the big difficulty in South Africa is going to be, you know, the employers are going to push back. One in industries where productivity might potentially be. A Affected, but also uh, from an employee employer perspective or well, employee perspective I mean the unions will also have to think about this what happens in industries where people get paid according to the number of days that they worked and mm-hmm. how will this defected into it to make sure that it doesn't actually put um, the employees in a disadvantageous yeah, position yeah. but at the same time you know you don't push employers in a corner where because all employers are going to do you know and we know that you know if this always happens is that they'll simply just reduce the staff if they need to reduce the staff because then they'll argue, I can achieve the same level of productivity mm. with a less amount of staff. So I oh, think we need oh, to it, think through I all mean, of
0: those They might do what they are already doing in some sectors. I mean, I know in the industrial sectors, land like a short time, say, mm. say uh, So I think there is also that flip side that you know this mustn't be used as a cop out for industry that might find themselves yes. in a difficult fix. But just interestingly, on the comment you're making there around, um, you know, this starting to come back into the discussion because of the pandemic I mean if there was anything that showed that elon Musk South Africa is, is his latest remarks just on on uh, saying look if you want to go work from home then go find another job um and and i find that so interesting because in a sense there is still this very pervasive mindset in South Africa that you are productive only insofar as I can see you um, and I think that's the other difficulty. I certainly know that I'd be more productive if we had a four-day week, but I can already anticipate people will say, but you are only at work for four days. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, but talking about industrial sectors, it seems Toyota uh, has certainly taken a massive hit insofar as their exports are concerned, and, uh, yeah, biggest drop, 30% drop, uh, in uh, uh, total vehicle exports from their prospecting plant out in guazul Natal, and all of this due to the floods.
1: Yeah, I mean the the, the you know we've, we've always known you know that this this things have uh, the floods for example will have an impact on on, on various industries. I mean I think this, this is now numbers and results starting to come out. And for us now, we're starting to get a bit of a picture of uh, the extent of, of of the damage. You know, I mean, I think on one end, you know, it's the infrastructure, it's all of those things that you know are immediately uh, we able to see. But now, it's the, the, we're starting to see the other effects. You know, Toyota affected significantly by the floods that basically led to a shutdown of the um, of the manufacturing plant. This has led to, to to a significant decline on the imports. You know, nearly 30% exports for um, nearly 30%. But I think the vehicle industry as a whole, you know, has been has been has impacted quite significantly over the last couple of. Uh, you know, only now are we seeing sales really beginning to come up. But I think there's a significant shortage, and there has been a shortage uh, for some time now. And this always, you know, has a trickle-down effect on the number of things. You know, I mean, I think I consider even within my space, you know, where where we were looking to significantly procure or hire a, a significant number a number of four-by-fours, um, but because of the shortage, we won't be mm. able to do that. And that affects service delivery, you know, uh, when it comes to healthcare. So there's always the with down effect. Sometimes we just look at those things um, at, at just an export level or at a manufacturing level, but there's a significant impact. But yeah, Toyota taken a uh, taken a hit. But they also did say that um, Namco CEO saying that uh, it's not only um, the, the, the the floods that have. Um, Caused an impact, yeah, but there's a significant drop in demand uh, from export uh, markets. There's also issues around rising interest rates, uh, supply chain disruptions, you know, there's the resurgent COVID-19 waves, and also that producer and consumer inflation at the highest mm. levels in decades. So there's a number of significant issues, but I think definitely with Toyota hit significantly, significantly by the floods in KZN. And um, yeah, I mean, even production now has resumed to a certain extent, but uh, for the sort of uh, high-end models, the Hiluxes, uh, it still has not fully resumed. So, um, yeah, Toyota taking a knock in. I imagine this is also going to have um, a significant impact on their overall performance uh, for this year.
0: Certainly will. And uh, I guess if we circle back and link it to the question of the four day work week, I think many of the workers out in uh, Toyota's operations at Teguini or in other parts that have been affected in the industrial sectors would be saying, all right, you know, we don't want a four day work week. We probably want more hours and more shifts mm-hmm. uh, to be able to get that money. So, the as you correctly said, it's about striking that particular balance.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I imagine Toyota as well, trying to ramp up production and get back their production would also not be quite favorable for a four-day week. In fact, you might even find that um, some of those workers are working, you know, throughout the weekends trying to get back um, the production levels, you know. So, it's going to be an interesting one right and i think um you know and i mean i think you know just going back to the four day week issue you know you might even look look at it from an agricultural perspective where uh, you know a farmer might argue that a four day work week um affects um, productivity on their side and the amount that they actually able to produce or harvest, so it's going to be an interesting one. But Toyota um, has definitely um, been impacted by the floods, mm. and um, we'll 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 have to see how they actually you know come back into there. But I think you know I was having a conversation the other day with um, with a friend of mine who's who's in the automotive industry. Um, they actually own dealerships, and he was saying that you know what they, they what they seeing in the in the in the market right now is that. Because the production is so low um, and the demand is high, it's actually forcing the prices of the vehicles quite high now. Mm. You know, and I was actually saying that this is probably the worst time for a consumer to be buying a vehicle because what they're doing is they're selling a lower number of vehicles, but um, they're realizing the same margins because of uh, the, the, the 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 price increases. You know, so you know it's interesting to always see how these things trickle down even to a dealership level but um yeah seemingly the um, you know the automotive industry is one that um, has been impacted uh, right now and uh, in different ways you know and um but of course it is projected that we'll begin to see the production um increase in the second half of the year and um hopefully then uh, it begins to take the prices down if you're a customer that that's that's good but if you're a dealership, I imagine.
0: owner rolling out safunga lo Nagamatandel. we'll have to leave it there, my brother. Always a pleasure catching up with you, and thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you very much. Ah Hey, buddy. I need
0: to go and see my <laughs> people out <laughs> in <laughs> Matatiele. I need to go and see my people in Matatiele. or
1: stats. I to go I to go